To show her I was not leaving until she answered, I removed my sandals. A maid took them and handed me a linen towel. I folded it and placed it on one of the benches so I could sit without feeling the cold marble against my legs. At this, my sister raised herself out of the pool. "'You dare to sit in my presence?' she said. Two guards who were standing on the balcony took one step toward me, touching the swords that were strapped to their waists. I am careful what I say to this sister. She is ten years older than I, and because I am just twelve, she rules over me by that fact alone. I lowered my eyes to show respect. When you are queen, Tryphena, I will kneel before you. She sunk back into the pool up to her shoulders, then raised her hand, snapping her fingers. A Nubian girl wearing a brown tunic appeared with a tray. A goblet of wine and a bowl of figs were offered to me. I could feel my insides shaking. Would this sister try to poison me? Yes, I believe so. As for my other older sister, Berenice, never. She and I adore each other, even though I am eight years younger. I took the wine and raised it toward Tryphena, as if toasting her, but really I was watching the liquid, looking for an oil perhaps floating on its surface, or powder sticking to the sides of the cup. If I suspected poison and tossed the wine into the pool, she would have her guards behead me on the spot. If it was indeed poison, one sip and I could die. I raised the cup to my lips and tasted no bitterness on the rim. My eyes closed as I took the first sip, as if savouring such an excellent taste. But really my thought was, Oh, Isis, I am afraid. But does Isis hear a girl's prayer? My heart raced as I drank, my stomach turned with nervousness, or was it from fearsome death beginning in me? Three sips later I returned the goblet to the tray, then reached for a fig which I rolled between my fingers. It felt sticky. Tryphena looked at me through narrowed eyes as a cat might look at a tiny bird, trying to decide if a capture is worth the effort. After a moment she tipped her head back to soak her hair in the water, when her eyes closed, I returned the fig to the bowl and wiped my hand on my chiton. A maid leaned over the pool with a tiny jar of oil, which she poured over Tryphena's scalp, then combed through her dark hair. I waited for my sister to speak, counting my heartbeats, a wonderful relief flooding over me that I was alive. Now then, Cleopatra, she said, her eyes still closed for the dripping water. What was it you wanted to know about our father? I stood and took my sandals from the maid. May our father be blessed that you occupy his rooms, I said. Evening. Now it is twilight. The wind has quieted and I can see that the waves have also. The ocean is becoming a darker blue as night nears. Oh, where is father? I hope he can see the lighthouse on Pharos Island. I know its bright light is meant for sailors approaching our harbour, but I think it is also for kings who sleep in a lonely place. I am ready to put away this paper and cheer myself up with a bath. First I must check the underground fire room to make sure the slaves have not fallen asleep again. This is something that enrages Tryphena. She demands they keep the coals going at all times, fanning hot air through pipes under the floors so she can soak at any hour of the day or night. Thinking of Tryphena makes me tired. I hope she is elsewhere in the palace tonight, perhaps reclining on her couch in the banquet hall. Oh, Isis, 
let the wine put her to sleep quickly. Arrow, my sweet old leopard, has jumped onto my bed, purring loudly. Her front paws are as big as my hands, and she is now licking those paws to wash her long, silvery whiskers. Moments ago she finished eating a thick chunk of roasted lamb given to her by the royal cook. Good cat, I tell her, stroking her huge spotted head, as I have every night since she was a kitten. Once I fall asleep, Arrow will leave my chamber to roam the dark gardens. Since she has just been fed, she will not bother our little cats who are out hunting mice and beetles. But woe to intruders! A leopard hides in the shadows of our palace walls. 7th Januarius This morning, early, I slipped out to the tomb of King Alexander the Great, the founder of our city. It is near enough to the palace so that I was back before my sisters were awake. The building is marble with open sides and steps leading down to the tomb, candles on every ledge. Because guards are here day and night, it is safe for me to come by myself. I knelt at the side of his coffin. A glass dome covers it, but the glass is an older type, pitted with sand in places and rippled, as if one were looking through dark water. When Alexander died of a fever in Babylon, his body was brought back to Egypt and embalmed in the same manner as our pharaohs. The embalmers painted his cheeks and lips red. His hair is a golden yellow with an orange tint above his forehead. If this is paint, I do not know. Though he is a mummy, he still appears to be about thirty years old. Alexander lies on his back, his hands folded across his chest, wearing an embroidered Persian vest buttoned at his waist. A skirt made of thin leather straps comes down to his knees. Draped over his shoulder is a beautiful scarlet cloak, the wool still untouched by moths. I wish I could see what type of sandals he is wearing, but a shield of hammered gold covers his feet. Did I mention that Alexander the Great has been dead for nearly three hundred years? Father says there are ancient Hebrew prophecies about a king, a messiah, who will bring peace and forgiveness. This king will have lived for a time in Egypt. When he dies, his body will not decay. He will rise from the dead, and all other kings will bow down to him. All nations will serve him. The government will be on his shoulders. Some people in this city believe that because Alexander already conquered so much of the world and was in Egypt, he might be the Messiah, thus the many guards to protect his tomb. I keep coming to look at Alexander to see if he shows life. Not yet. If the glass breaks, will he start to rot? The next afternoon. Caravans arrived today from Gilead and Arabia. Their camels were loaded with treasures that will be traded for our grain. The merchants have pitched their striped tents outside the city wall near the canal that brings Nile water to Lake Mariotis. I watched from my roof garden. Glad the stench of camels cannot reach me, though I always enjoy hearing the bells and bangles that hang from their saddles. When I saw some of our slaves carrying chests toward the palace, I was too excited to wait on the roof. I ran down the inside steps to wait in the courtyard. Berenice and Tryphena were already there, of course. As princesses, we are the first in Alexandria to run our fingers through the sacks of spices, pinching small amounts to flick in the air like perfume. The courtyard was soon filled with the sweet aromas of cinnamon, myrrh, cassia and frankincense. 
My sisters and I are also the first to unwrap the parcels of silk. This fabric is so delicate we can see through it, and when we throw a piece in the air it floats down slowly. When we were younger, we used to run with it back and forth through the halls and around the columns, in and out, the silk flying from our outstretched hands like lovely coloured flags. But now that Tryphena is so much older, she sits on a stool while bowing servants bring everything to her. Today she unfolded the silks as if they were dirty bed linens, then tossed them aside, bored. Next she pushed a chest with her foot until it tipped over. Out spilled an elegant array of bracelets and sashes, Persian slippers, mirrors and ivory hair ornaments. Berenice and I glanced at each other. These things were much too beautiful to be thrown on the floor. Then Tryphena reached into a wooden crate and dug through the straw to uncover hundreds of tiny alabaster jars. She uncorked one. Instantly there was the wonderful scent of almond oil. Oh, how I love to rub it into my skin after a bath. She sniffed it, frowned, then opened other jars. There was coconut oil, fine perfumes, and the balm of Gilead itself, a most prized item. The last chest to be opened was full of jewels and necklaces. I saw a rope of pearls that was so exquisite I could not help myself. As I started to clasp it around my neck, Tryphena grabbed a dagger from inside her dress and placed it against my throat. I felt the sharp edge scrape against my skin. Slowly, I handed the pearls to my sister and backed out of the room. 8th of January, just before sunset. Five days have passed since father disappeared. The snake that killed his slave, Mento, is still loose in the palace.